Tonight's title is A Warning from the Early Church for the Church of Today. A Warning from the Early Church for the Church of Today. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars." And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now our second reading is in chapter 3, please. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, reading to the end of the chapter. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Lord will bless that reading of his marvelous word. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you to settle us in our hearts and our minds. For those spirits, Lord, that would oppose thy word. For that which would distract, Father, we now ask you to take captivity of it under Jesus' name. And Lord, that he may alone be seen and in the midst of your people, may he be glorified. We worship you and we worship and we adore your son. Father, hear our prayers this evening. Draw our hearts close to thee. 
And if there's one or some that knows not him, may they come to saving faith in Christ this evening or they leave this place and go out into the darkness. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. In our opening reading, uh, the first church that was mentioned is the church of Ephesus. The second reading is the church of the Laodiceans. Now in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, the risen Christ, the ascended glorified Son of God, he uh, comes to John on the Isle of Patmos and he gives him seven letters, one to each of the churches in Asia Minor, starting at Ephesus, Right through seven churches, the seventh is the church of Laodicea. For example, the churches are mentioned, and you can look at them and read them at your leisure in chapter 2 and 3, but they start with Ephesus, then Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They were seven literal assemblies of God's people. And the things that happened and the things they stood for and the places where they fell in and the promises to each of them, if they overcome, are written in all of the seven letters to the seven churches. The risen Lord Jesus is seen walking through the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and it's mentioned in the first church in our reading. Notice what it says in verse one of chapter two. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth, notice, the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now the midst of the seven golden candlesticks is really the seven churches. Notice where Christ is. He says, I'm in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks or the churches. The seven stars are really the ministers or the pastors of each church at the time. And so he's writing this letter to them, showing them where they must strengthen or what they must do for future blessing. So seven literal churches in Asia Minor. But these are also known as seven prophetic church ages, if you want, or times and periods from the early church at Pentecost here at Ephesus, the whole way through time until our time, right until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, and I won't go into all of these, and we take a, a, a few meetings to go through these, but Ephesus, it would bring us right up to the time of about 96 to 100 AD. And the things that happened in that particular church assembly was happening generally in the church and being shown in the church. And then the next church in line, Smyrna, would be from 180 to around 313 AD, round about that. And through that time then, we see the church goes into another time, a different time. For example, the church at Ephesus being the first church, it means relaxed from effort relaxed from effort and you'll see why it's called that and it actually lives up to its name relaxed from effort in chapter 2 and verse 9 Smyrna means anointing oil 
anointing oil. The third one is Pergamos, and it means married to power. And these things happened not only in the churches that were literal in Asia, but as time moved off on in the general church, these are times the church evolved and moved in. And hence they happened throughout time, the years going through. Notice then, if you want to, I'm just going through them quickly for you. The verse 18 of chapter 2, we have the church of Thyatira, and it means ruled by a woman. This would be the time of the church of Rome, ruled by the woman. The, the woman is the woman, the hearted of the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, ruled by a woman. And that brings us into the time of 606, right until 1517, when we have Martin Luther on the 31st of October nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, wanting uh, to reform the Church of Rome. And then again, if you let your eye run down into chapter 3, verse 1, it is the Church of Sardis. That's the Church of the Precious Stone. A precious stone. And it really gives the idea then of the reformers. The reformers bringing the just shall live by faith after Martin Luther. And that would be from 1517. And that period in in prophetic terms lasted to about 1739, around that sort of period. Let your eye run down again to verse 7 of chapter 3. We have the church of Philadelphia. The church of Philadelphia means brotherly love. And that would be the time of missionary endeavor. That would be the time right up until we have the Wesleys. John Wesley and Charles Wesley and Whitfield and then coming on later into Spurgeon and all of that sort of time. It's known as the time of brotherly love. Brings us right into that prophetic time scale and period. That would be about 1739-ish round to about 1850. And then Laodicea, we read it as one of our readings, is the last church age before the coming of Christ. And that would be from around the 1850 mark, right up until today, looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Laodicean church. The last church is the church that we live in. Now, because we live in what's known as the Laodicean age of the church, it does not mean that CET, we have to be a Laodicean church. And what do I mean by that? Well, in our reading in Revelation chapter 3, and if you just let your eye run down then, verse 15, listen to what the Lord says. I know thy works. It means ruled by the laity when the pastors and the preachers are afraid to preach the word because the laity tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Where the laity, the people tell them how it should be in the church rather than having leadership in the church. And hence it's went from a hierarchy of leadership in Thyatira, from Pergamos to Thyatira, right into Laodicea now. It's done in about turn. Where now the people run the church and tell the pastor what to preach. Now, someone mentioned something about me preaching, uh, what a wee idea what I should preach on, and this has nothing to do with that because we were having the wee thoughts, so I don't want them to be offended at that. But it would be surprising how many people want to tell the pastor who's seeking God what to preach. 
and how to preach it and how not to preach it. Hear the church of the Laodiceans. Notice what he says. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. Jesus says, I want you to either be cold or hot. Now that doesn't mean he wants you to be cold-hearted. We're going to look at that in a moment. Or really passionately hot on fire. The cold here means refreshingly cold. I want you to be refreshing in your coldness. Refreshing as in water to drink. When you take a cold drink on a warm day, it refreshes you. Or if you're cold, you drink a hot drink. Or you can bathe in hot water. He wants us to be refreshingly cold or usefully hot. And Christ is saying this to this end time. I'm speaking universally because this is the Laodicean period of the the church. He says in verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm. He says you're not refreshing and neither are you helpful in the hotness but rather you're lukewarm. But notice what he says to this day and age in which we live. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. If ever a word like this was true, it's been over the past two years. If ever a word has come to pass, it's been these past two years on how the church has acted and reacted. Here he is saying, Jesus is saying, the church of the Laodiceans makes me sick. In other words, if you go to take a drink of water and it's lukewarm, you're, oh, I can't drink that. Neither is it any use if you're cold and you take it, it's not warm enough. Or even to bathe in. And this is the idea. The Laodiceans actually had a large viaduct came down refreshing on the mountains. By the time it traveled down the viaduct and ran into the city for them, it became lukewarm and it was useful, useless. It could be useful for nothing. And the Lord Jesus is using this and saying, Laodicean church, this is what you are like to me. The water in your viaduct, that's what you've become. I can't drink it, it makes me sick. You stand for nothing and you preach the water downward. You won't mention, as it were, in our day, the blood in the book in case people are offended at it and say you're believing in a a slaughterhouse religion. And you look at the, the modernism in the church and you don't want to speak about the miraculous power of God anymore and have faith in the power of the Holy Ghost. And so he's saying, Laodicean church, power of the laity, You're being run, not by godly, Holy Ghost-filled leadership, but rather you're being run by the laity or by the people. And every whim that they want, it comes to you. Brothers and sisters, you can see how this is a warning from the early church, because this was a literal church assembly too. This is a warning from them to you and I this evening. I wonder whether they had their meetings on the Lord's Day. I wonder, did they use all of the Lord's Day? I don't know. Maybe they even ate together during the services, between the services on the Lord's Day. But I wonder, did they keep the Lord's Day? Did they keep it for him? Separated and sanctified for him. 
Or did they give him part and on their own bidding the rest of the day? Surely you can see how it has become in the Lord's day in the year 2022. When it's now people feel they've given the Lord enough to clock their card on a Sunday morning. A smoo. Who knows what a smoo is? Some of you know what a smoo is. A Sunday morning only. What's a snow then? What is it? Sunday night only. Here the church in 2022 have become so pasteurized, homogenized, that they, they don't really see themselves recognized anymore as the blood washed. But rather they see themselves as nothing short, as nothing short of being those who come as the laity to clock their card to give God a little bit of time. The church is to be, the church is to be separated unto God, sanctified by his word and his spirit, washed in the blood, filled with the spirit of God, and they are to be either refreshingly cold when the place is too hot as it were, and they have to be lovingly warm whenever things are getting too cold. Here we find a warning for the end time church in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Notice what Jesus says unto them. They had an earthquake in Laodicea. In the town in the, of Laodicea, there's a great earthquake and it said many of the buildings fell. Many of the buildings collapsed. And the, 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 the leadership of the government at the time, if you want, wanted to give them money. We'll help you build. And you know what they said? The church said, we don't need money. We have got everything we need. We're rich. We have it all. Notice here in verse 17. Because I sayest, Jesus says, you say this. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing. That's what they're saying to Christ. I don't need to look to you, God. And I don't need for you to bring in the finance. And I don't need this or I don't need that of you. This was how rich the Laodiceans were. They built it from their own pocket. Look what we have done. And no longer the glory to Christ. Look what Christ has done. He says, But thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing. Listen to what he said. And thou knowest not, you don't even realize it, that thou art miserable. Imagine the Lord calling you miserable. Alice and I were laughing yesterday, weren't we? We're talking about Pastor McConnell sometimes. And sometimes you get carried away with things. He's preaching passionately. And he used to go, brother, you're a miserable creep. <laughs> and she says, Alison says to me, wonder how you'd get that in sometime, Ken. I says, I don't think I'll try. And I forgot that this was even here for this evening. I'm just preaching off the cuff at the minute. I haven't touched my notes yet. But Jesus said, the master said, Christ himself said, 
And you don't even realize it. Thou knowest not that thou art miserable. The church today is miserable. You know, when he looks and he sees all the fanfare, when he looks and he sees everything that's trying to replace the Holy Ghost, when he looks at the, the, the way the Holy Ghost is placed outside the church now, and when he looks at those, some of those who are inside the church thinks it's the Holy Ghost and it isn't, Jesus are miserable. To this day and age, CET may be with all of our heart, we're far from perfect, but may we with all of our hearts endeavor to serve Christ with all we have. He says, I know it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor. Well, we're not poor. We've built our own house. We're not poor. Our own hands have labored. We're not poor. We have financed it ourselves. And we don't need you, God. And God says, exactly. Exactly. Knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Wow, what an indictment. A condemnation from Christ. Wonder singularly and individually how that hits home to the heart. For I know what I examine myself with when I read it. For the Lord to say that to me would be indescribable. I counsel thee, he said. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Come to me, he's saying, and let's go through this and I'll purify you. I will purify you. Gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. In other words, you'll be rich about with me. You'll be rich in spirit. You'll be rich in heart. You'll be rich in the soul. You'll be rich. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment. This is, this is not, it's not your works, by the way. He's saying, your works are like filthy rags to me. He says, it's, I want this end time church to come to me that they may plead with me for forgiveness and that this church, this church might have white raiment, the righteousness of Christ, trusting in him only. White raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Even in Laodicea, they, they, they specialize in an eye salve. It's a known fact they had an eye salve and they specialized in it. And the Lord even takes this to write us through the pen of John. And he says, see the eyes that you're trying to see with. Your 2020 vision for the best you can. Jesus said to them, he says it to us, to you and I. He says, come to me and I'll give you an eye salve that you'll never ever need to see anything else with. This eye salve is the eyes of the Spirit of God. The discerning eye salve, discernment of spirits that the Holy Ghost brings. 
Come and I'll give you thyself. That thou mayest see. And he tells us, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So if you're rebuked tonight, please don't be falling out with me. If you're chastened tonight, please don't take it out on me. But if you're rebuked and chastened tonight, it's because he loves you. Because he loves you. So the end time church in Revelation is the church that we are living in. I must go and look at the first one then in the church of Ephesus. Let's rewind time, yet we can still see what happens in hearts, singular individual hearts and in church assemblies. We can see how it happens in all sorts of Christians. The Lord Jesus, in the book of Revelation, he's seen from eternity to eternity. I want you to note this. He's seen from eternity to eternity. He's the word of God right through now. He's back in eternity. He came from heaven He's returned to heaven. Now take note of this. He is human, yet he is divine. He is deity clothed with humanity. And he shines throughout the book of Revelation because he is the revelator on the revelation. He's the centerpiece of eternity. He's the focal point of humanity. And he's the great draw at his birth when they came they saw him and the Magi fell down and worshipped him. Center in everything. In eternity, he's the center. At his birth, he's central. Throughout his life in the Gospels, he's center. Now he's in eternity again and he's centralized in all of eternity. He's the Lord in the midst of us and he's the Lord who became one of us and he's a lamb who saves us, whose blood was shed for us. He redeemed us He is on the center cross. He's in the midst when he's being crucified. He's on the center cross. And he's the center of all of heaven and earth. Even the very stars proclaim him as being the center of the universe. In Psalm 19 and verse 1 it says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show of his handiwork. The heavens tonight, now as we said, this is the first Sunday night we've came and it's still been a bit bright outside. It's now since went dark. And you go outside tonight, you might be able to see, depending on the cloud cover, you might be able to see the sun, the sun, the moon, and you might be able to see the stars. And every time you see them, it's declaring that Christ is the sovereign Lord and King of the universe. Not will be, but is now. Present tense, declares the glory of God, declares that Christ is the sovereign of all things, that the one who is the sovereign became the sacrifice. See, he's central to the word of God and he's central to all that is in heaven and in glory. In Psalm 97 and verse two, it says, the heavens declare his righteousness and the people see his glory. So when you see the moon and the stars and when you get up in the morning, we've had two days of sunshine, that might be your summer, we don't know. 
But if it's there, it declares his glory that he spoke the worlds into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Speaks of him, the sovereign almighty God. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, Paul says. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we read the Gospels and when we see the Christ through the Spirit and the Word and He's formed in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, there we see the glory of God, we see the righteousness of Christ, and we see all that the Father is in Him. And when we look at Him, when we look at Him, He projects all who God is. The Word, He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He's the first and the last. Listen, he's the author and he's the finisher. And if you want to put it into English, he's the A to Z. He's everything that God is. He's central to it all. You remove the Son of God and you remove everything. You remove the Son of God and you remove it all. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, he's found in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. A wee boy at 12, can you imagine that? Imagine one of the wee boys that come here, 12 years of age, and sitting in a, a, a circle with all these doctors of theology. Imagine the wee boy of 12, starting to listen to what they're saying. All I can think of was he was correcting their theology. It's like bang, 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 bang. Correcting their thoughts, correcting their actions, correcting their ways. You know how I know? Because he said to the Pharisees, you're off your father, the devil. They had mongrelized the scriptures and the tree Hebraic worship. And now he's not only listening, he's speaking. You imagine 12 years of age, a wee boy, and there he sits in the midst of them. Oh, he must have had his face shining. And he just brought revelation of heaven. The revelation of heaven through Christ. Uh, never a man spake like this man, they said. They reported back. Notice in Revelation 1 and 13. Revelation 1 and 13 and in Revelation 2 and verse 1. As I said, he is the son of man, the risen Christ, the glorified son of God. He is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks or lampstands. Notice where he is in the midst. He's walking through the midst. Each one, seven of them represent the churches from Ephesus the whole way through to Laodicea. From the beginning of the early church, right, the whole way through to the church of this day. And where is he in the church of this day? In Revelation 3 and verse 20. I'll tell you where he is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice, and will open the door. I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. Where is he? He's outside the door. He's in the midst of the candlesticks. But now in Laodicea, he's outside the door. Individually, where is he with you tonight? This is used in gospel meetings. They understand that, and that's fine. I'm not saying anything against that. But Christ being outside the heart's door, uh, 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 that's fine. That's okay. But he's speaking to the church of the Laodiceans here. He's speaking to the believer. He's speaking to this early assembly of Christians. And listen, he's speaking to today, to you and to me. The son of man, like one, like a son of man walking through the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Christ and his body, the church. In Revelation 7 and verse 7, and also in Revelation 5 and verse 6, pardon me, 7 and verse 17, he is the lamb in the midst of the throne. See, can you see all of us? Christ is central. The Lord Jesus Christ is central. If he's not central, then we have skewed off theology. If he's not in the heart of it, if he's not in the midst of it, if he's not in the mind of it, if he's not in the all of it, if he's not in the middle of it, then we have wrong theology. Christ in the center, the center of life, the center of the church, the center of the assembly, the center of your family, the center of your marriage, the center of your home, the center of it all. But rather it's Christ is not first, but rather second or third or tenth and to some way down the list. In the church of Ephesus, we see that Christ is writing to them, this is the first and the earliest of the church from after the day of Pentecost. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, the early church, as it were, before the day of Pentecost, coming up to it, after the death of Christ, between in those 50 days period before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The disciples were afraid. It says in John 20 and verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, there were disciples, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. These disciples were petrified in Jerusalem. They were petrified. The Jews were going to kill each and every last one of them. So they get into the room, they close the door. You imagine it bolted and barred. What are they doing? Well, where do we go from here? If we go outside, they're going to kill us. And all of a sudden, with the, the door shut, with the door bolted and barred, Jesus just walks into the midst of them. How did he do that? 
Why did he do that? This is glorified state. He's raised bodily, physical being. But it's a physical being as though it's spiritual. He can eat honeycomb with them at the seaside. He can make a fire. He has a fire for the fisherman. He's cooking fish and honeycomb and he's eating with them. Yet he's a resurrected, glorified Christ. He walks into the midst of them. In the frightened church, when they have Christ in the midst, everything changes. Everything changes for the man and everything changes for the woman. Everything changes for the assembly. Everything changes in our thoughts. Everything changes when Christ is in the midst of us. All that Christ is in the midst of us. So he's in the midst of the doctors as a juvenile. He's in the middle cross as he's crucified. He's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks as he's glorified. He's in the midst of the elders, the beasts and the throne as he's magnified. And he comes into the midst of the disciples who were terrified. Revelation 3 and 20. He's outside the door of the Laodicean church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you know where Jesus wants to be? In the midst. Listen to me, church. And I mean this, I love you. I love your soul. I love you as your shepherd. I love you. But I feel it's a warning from the early church. And we can take it for ourselves. Forget everybody else. Listen to me, church. It's time you started inviting Jesus in. It's time each and every one of us started inviting Jesus into our lives, into our homes. And when we gather together, forget everything else and invite him in here. Do you see if we get a real Christ encounter, as our name is, if we have a real Holy Ghost encounter, I'll tell you, if we all had a Holy Ghost encounter in here, if we had a real encounter with Christ and he's in the midst, we'd leave here and revival would strike Northern Ireland. But what will happen is our day will change tomorrow. And last night, well, the pastor, he's either very good or he was very bad. And that's another day gone and maybe see him next week. No, that's religion. I don't want that. See, if religion's all we have, forget about it. If religion is all that you and I have, you and I, just, we just need to close the doors and go home. Forget about it. From I get saved, I've Christ in me. From I get saved, it's been Christ in me. It's the hope of glory for me. Some people claim that they're saved and I believe that they're not. I believe that they've been blinded by religion and they're on their way to hell. And they're on their way to hell.
In Revelation chapter 2, the early church Ephesus means relaxed from effort. And let me put it like this, brothers and sisters. By the time this letter is written, this is probably at least the second generation Christians from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Do you want to see what the change was after the day of Pentecost compared to what Jesus says even in this short period of time could be up to AD 90? Turn with me to Acts, please. Turn with me to the book of Acts, but let's go to chapter 2 for a moment. Let me get it too. I want you to see the change, the difference. I mean, the, the true marked difference that, the, that, that a spirit-filled believer, that a Holy Ghost-baptized Christian is. It's not all about speaking with other tongues. It's not even all about prophecy. And I believe in all of that. Don't get me wrong. It's not about that. It's about walking with Christ. It's about obedience to the word. It's about being hot and cold for his glory. And I believe in the Holy Ghost and I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. So please don't, keep, don't get me wrong here. Acts chapter 2, and we have to just jump across this. This is the day of Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Acts 2 and verse 32, it says, This Jesus hath God raised up, Whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Peter, Peter who said to him, Lord, I will go with thee into prison and even unto death. By the end of the night, by the end of that very same night, he denied Christ three times. I don't know the man. I don't know him. I say I was not with him. He's going to go to prison and death. Now look at him. But when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, what happened? Peter, with the frightened disciples, in the upper room with the door closed, we spoke about he steps outside and starts to preach the word of God with boldness. Do you know why some people are afraid to witness for Christ? Do you know why some are afraid to witness for Christ? Because they haven't got the Holy Ghost boldness. Peter says, this Jesus had, God hath raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. I don't know the man now, he's saying, I know him. I was with him and I seen him. Acts chapter four, please. Let's just read a couple of verses, please. Verse two, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through 
Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even time. Notice, here even now they're still preaching Christ. Why? Because Christ was the center of their being. Christ was the center of their heart. And they preached him, and they laid hold on him. In other words, they manhandled him. To what point in part they beat them, I don't know. But they threw them into prison for preaching Jesus. That's where I run down to verse 18, please. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Julie's now saying, Listen, I know what I've seen, I know whom I've seen. I seen him. And I can't help myself but speak about him. I cannot help myself but speak about Christ. Today in this letter, see in the age, it's don't you speak about Christ. You're not allowed to in the workplace. And you might lose your job. Look, I appreciate that. But it's coming to a point, a place in time in history when you're going to have to make your choice. When you're going to have to make your choice, is Christ worth more than your job? Many people have said to me some of the things that I preach. You better watch. You don't get pulled up and brought in court like your pastor. Well, I have to make my decision. Is the word of God and Christ worth more to me than everything else? I'll categorically answer you now. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Next chapter 5, devils are being cast out, the demoniac, and the sick are being healed. The high priest and the Sadducees come, and in verse 17, I'll just skip across, he says, they were filled with indignation. Imagine seeing someone being blessed and helped, someone who's demoniac and someone who's been ill, someone maybe with a tumor, being healed and being filled with indignation. How wicked must you be to have a mind like that? Think about this. How wicked must a heart be? Matter if it was your worst enemy and had a tumor hanging off them. Or they were dying on their feet. Or they weren't able to walk from birth and little babies and children. How wicked must a heart be? Well, look at today. How wicked must it be to send them to an abortion mill? To have it passed in our governments? And even to stop the Christians going too close to them in case someone's offended, but the child can die. Things haven't changed that much, have they? In 
Verse 18, it says, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Verse 19, I love this. That's their wicked heart. Verse 19, it just says this, but the angel of the Lord. All of a sudden, God steps in. I'm in prison, Lord. I've done what, what you told me, but look where I am. Do you know, see if that was in 2022 and say the pastor is preaching and they take me and they throw me in the prison, right? Be all over the newspapers, the shame of him, the shame of him, the shame of that pastor that kept the church open and they've done their best the whole way through this last two years. Oh, the shame on him. I've had it all anyway from being out in a car park and almost going to be beaten up on everybody's way home on a Sunday a few times, to the police coming, to, to counsellors phoning me and saying, listen, you've been reported four times this week. I've had it all when very few knew about it. Brothers and sisters, listen. When God puts a man behind a pulpit, He doesn't put him behind here to give him a backbone like a wet noodle. He doesn't tell him that he's to be mealy-mouthed and watch it. And he certainly doesn't tell him to leave it every Sunday and do a couple and leave it again. He tells him to get up there and to preach the word. Notice, he would say, that pastor, look at him, all over the news. Such a bad boy he is. I don't want to be offending, and I don't want to hurt, and I don't want to be in prison, and I don't want to be in court. None of us do, and we are law-abiding where it does not infringe upon the freedom and liberty of our faith in Christ. But when it crosses the boundary, we have to start Standing like we sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. That's including the Christian. Notice here this warning, but the ends of the Lord by night opened the door, the prison doors, and brought them forth. Verse twenty, and notice what he says. I know many times I've read this, and I read it again about. Boy, that's jumped up. That was like a, it was like somebody hit me a right hook when I read this. And the angel of the Lord says, right, run and hide now. Go away and keep yourself safe. Roll up into a ball until everything is over and it'll all be all right and I'll call you out. He didn't say that. Notice the words of verse 20. Go stand and speak in the temple to all the people, all the words of this life. Do you know where he's telling them to go? into the very center of Jerusalem, into the very religious worship center of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who laid hands on them and had them thrown into prison. He said, now go back again. Go back again. And preach it. Wow. Lord, I thought you were going to tell me I've done my bit and that's enough. I said something, that's enough. The Lord says, listen, you do as I tell you. Go back out to the temple and preach again. 
all the news coming up. Can you see all the headlines? Troublemaking pastor. Anti-social, non-prudently correct pastor. Bigoted pastor, eh? I am a bigot. See, when they call you a bigot, take it as a badge of honor. Do you know why? The word bigot comes from the Reformation. When the Roman Catholic Church used to call as a slur word the reformers, the bigots, because they said, I am begotten of God and not of works. That's what it means. That's where it comes from. Listen, I'm a bigot. I'm begotten of God, not of my works. You're begotten of God, not of your works. You're all a bunch of bigots. Isn't it great? It's a badge of honor. It's not a slur. I'm begotten of God. You're begotten of God. Saved by the grace of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Washed in the whole, washed in the blood of Lamb and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, I'm a bagotis. I must close. Yes, he doesn't tell him to go and preach where it's easier or safer. He says, go. If Christ is in the midst, then Christ will change things for you. I'm going to close with this. In the book of Ephesians, or pardon me, the book of Revelation on the Ephesian church here, as I said, it's like second or third generation. See, the, the, the next generation didn't teach their children. The next generation didn't really bring their children to church. And now the next generation has grown up and they don't know the ways of the Lord like their parents and their grandparents. See how important it is that your children are here? Notice here, Paul writes of this familiarity of the people. They became familiar with what they had and what God had done. They became familiar with church. Lamentations 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, How has the gold become dim? How has the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out into the top of every street. And verse 2 says, the precious sons of Zion are comparable to fine gold. How are they esteemed as earth and pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? And I'm finishing with this. I've, I've far too much material. I, I, I might do a snippet of this to close just next week. The precious sons of Zion. We're talking about the Judaites in the southern kingdom. Babylon had came to take them away and they took the cream of the crop. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel all with the cream of the crop. And here they're saying the precious sons of Zion it's like they're so precious how do they become like this? How has something like that become like this? You know what they did? They worshipped other gods. 
They put Christ down the list as it were. Yahweh down the list. And God removed them as it were like a candlestick. So in Ephesians chapter, pardon me, Revelation chapter 2 on the Ephesian church. Notice what it says the problem is. They're doing all the works and their labor and their patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And we're not going to read it all, but notice what it says down in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, says the Savior. I have something against you. The The commendation is, I see your works. Your works are great. I see them. But nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Lord, what have you got against me? This is what he says. Because thou hast left thy first love. Because thou hast left thy first love. Can also be rendered because you have stopped loving me the way you used to at the start. Because you have stopped loving me the way you used to at the beginning. Jesus said to Ephesus church, now that is a warning for the church of today because they've fallen out of love with Christ and everything else came first. Luxuries come first. Lifestyle comes first. Family comes first. Friends come first. Loves come first. Lusts come first. People come first before Christ. And he's no longer in the midst of the person. And hence he's no longer in the midst of that assembly. Brothers and sisters, tonight, Jesus says, remember, listen to what he says. Here's our remedy as a church tonight. Remember. What do you want me to remember, Lord? Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. In other words, serve me like you used to. Love me like you used to. Fellowship with me like you used to. He says, remember. In fact, the term from whence thou art fallen. See, in the Greek text, it's stronger than you've just fell. It means to completely and absolutely fall. Remember from where you've completely fell away from me. You've absolutely forgotten me. And you've placed everyone else before me. He says, repent. And do the first works. Boy, see when I wrote this. See when I wrote this. This tore the heart out of me. Because I know that I could do better. It's not about being saved. I'm saved by grace. But I could do better.
Ephesus. He's no longer in the midst and the center of the heart, of the heart, Laodicea. He's not even in the church assembly. He's outside the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. God bless you tonight. I trust this has touched your heart. I've even challenged your heart and helped your heart. Team, would you just come up, please?